the book of Ephesians chapter 6. We've been discussing some ways that we can be evangelistically praying. And here in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul himself encourages the church at Ephesus in light of this great mystery of Christ, this will of God that has been hidden since the foundation of the world, but now has been revealed to us, that is the summing up of all things in Christ. And Paul asked this church, Ephesians 6 verse 19, pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly. And you'll notice twice in those two verses we have in our English translation the word boldness or boldly. Paul is desiring a praying, a purposeful praying for boldness in the presentation of the gospel. Now we've looked at, in several Sundays, our attitude toward evangelistic praying. And we saw this in Romans chapter 10 and Romans chapter 9. I'm going to read from Romans chapter 9 verses 1 and 2. Where Paul says, I am telling the truth in Christ, I am not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. So here's Paul caring about concerning his people according to the flesh, great sorrow. And he is carrying within himself unceasing grief and along with that in Romans 10 and in verse 1 he says brethren my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation he had an intensity of desire for their salvation which is amazing because when you think about it these are the very people who beat him They're the very people who ran him from town to town. They're the very people who boldly contradicted him. And they're the people who became some of his greatest enemies. They were enemies for the gospel's sake. And yet, in light of all that, his heart did not get hard. I know he had to wrestle with this. He's human like every other fallen believer is. But he had to wrestle with this, and yet he walked around not with an anger toward them, but with great sorrow and an unceasing grief. And you combine that with an intense desire for them to be saved. And what you have is evangelistic praying. And we talked about that this is really what every believer needs to have. Whatever your sphere of influence is, whatever your family, both immediate and extended, even within the church of God, and yet even more so with opportunities outside of our normal day-by-day affairs, 
to really carry within ourselves, <clears throat> while we have the great fruit of the joy of the Holy Spirit, we are also carrying about in ourselves a great sorrow and grief and a desire for people to be saved. And I think speaking for myself, and I think this is true for all believers, no matter how zealous you are, we all can use a greater desire for this. And really, we ought to be praying for it, should we not? If we're praying for it, then our eyes would be open to the opportunities. So we looked at the attitude that we ought to have, and then we looked at purposeful praying for a door. A door of opportunity to speak. From Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 3. And of course, we discussed that Paul desired the church to pray for them. There was up to ten men in relationship to that request for prayer. But Paul would move from praying for us in the plural, and he would move to praying for him in the singular. And he talked about an open door. And of course, that door's aim was courageous clarity. Paul's in prison, isn't he? And he's in prison for the gospel's sake. He is there as a criminal, and yet he is innocent. And what Paul desires is a door. Now sometimes that door we saw involved a door into a community. Troas. We saw that door sometimes was a door into a heart of a person. Lydia. But a door, nevertheless, and when that door is there, that we would take that with courageous clarity in proclaiming the mystery of Christ. And of course, I think we all know that when we take the simplest of steps, even steps to the place of where we're going out in the neighborhood or passing out a track or we had an opportunity or we made an opportunity and we talked, how much joy of spirit that we have when we walk away from that saying, yes, we had that opportunity to give the gospel to someone. And what a joy that we have in that aftermath, even though during the event we may be full of nervousness and fear in what we're doing. But afterwards, there's great joy. And so Paul is praying. Paul is praying. It's not like I'm praying for this or you're praying for this. This is the Apostle Paul, of whom we would think would never have a problem with anything like this. And of course he did. <clears throat> How do we know that he did? Because he wouldn't ask prayer for it unless it was a, rear, rear, a, a real temptation in his life. And that brings us to Ephesians, <clears throat> and that is Paul's request here. And again, we noted here that he wanted the church to be praying at all times. Some people take that as part of the armor, some people don't. But in any case, you'll see there in verse 18 of Ephesians 6, we're to have all prayer and petition. We're to be praying at all times in the Spirit. We're to be on the alert with all perseverance. <clears throat> and we're to have petitioning for all the saints. And so we're to be constantly praying at all times, one for another, and also for the church corporately, like Paul himself 
pray corporately for the church at Ephesus. And what are we to be praying? Well, we're to be praying things that are in agreement with the will of God. That is this revealed mystery. There may be someone in the church that doesn't know the Lord. Should we be praying for them? Our children, as they come up and they age, not all of them have made professions of Christ. Should we be praying for them? The answer, of course, is yes. This is within the congregation. But we can also pray corporately for God's goodness to be bestowed upon the whole body. And if it's bestowed upon the whole body, then it's bestowed upon the individual members of that body. And Paul says, do this, be praying at all times. And then in verses 19 and 20, all right, pray for me. And of course, we would have expected Paul to say something like this, pray that I get a good lawyer. Pray that I get out of jail. And he did desire to be out of jail, didn't he? Okay, He would tell the church at Corinth, thanks be to God that you prayed for me and that I was released. And so it's not that Paul doesn't want to be out of prison, but he doesn't request that when he makes his request. He's actually requesting something on a much higher level. And that is that utterance may be given to Paul in the opening up of his mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador. When a person is imprisoned, it is an embarrassing situation. It's embarrassing if you've ever gotten a speeding ticket. It's embarrassing just to pull over the car and the policeman is talking to you and he's writing out the citation and you know that all the cars flying by you are all looking when they go by. There's just an embarrassment of being accosted by someone in authority, isn't there? And Paul has been accosted. <clears throat> he has actually been put in a prison cell and not only is it embarrassing, but it is a shameful situation. Part of the shame associated with it is that he's innocent. And folks, whenever we are in a situation of shame, that shame can rob us of something. And what it robs from us is our boldness. If Paul is praying for boldness, the opposite of being bold would be to be ashamed. Do you think Paul ever felt shame? He did. He, he had that flesh like you and I have that flesh. And here he is in prison, and he doesn't want that shame to rob him of boldness. It's real easy to want to kind of minimize the message, tone it down a little bit, not make it with as clear as you ought to be, as he mentions in the book of Colossians. But here, just to withhold back everything that you need to proclaim. 
Years ago, there was a book written by Dr. John MacArthur, and the title of that book is, was Ashamed of the Gospel. So I want to ask ourselves here at this point, do we deal with a sense of shame in our lives? And if we do, and we all do at times, but if we do on a regular basis, has that shame caused us to either minimize the gospel or cause us to be silent about the gospel? And folks, what I'm thinking about here is this. Which is easier, giving someone the gospel or inviting them to church? I, I think we all know the answer to that, do we not? And yet, inviting people to church, is that a bad thing? That's not a bad thing, and we need to be doing that. We need to be thinking like the Bible speaks, that people who are born again should not abandon themselves, the assembling of themselves, from the house of the Lord. That's a good thing. Sometimes it's easier just to hand someone a track. Now there can be shame associated with that, but it's a lot easier than, and sometimes you're not in a position to do to speak, but it's a lot easier to say, I passed out you know, 50 tracks this week than it is to say, you know, I spoke someone with clarity and with boldness the gospel. And folks, we feel that type of shame in many, many areas of our Christian life. A lot of times we feel ashamed because we know how the person's going to react. Now I want you to take your Bibles and I want you to turn to the book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1. And what we have here in this book is the Apostle Paul. He has written this to his son in the faith, Timothy. My pages are not wanting to turn. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Paul is in prison again. In fact, in this imprisonment, he's going to go to be with the Lord. This is his last inspired epistle, as it were, and he is writing this to Timothy, his beloved son. So what we have here is we have the apostle. He is aged. Many people believe that when he died, he was somewhere between 60 to 63 years old. So he is aged. He's a seasoned man in the ministry. He is writing an inspired epistle to Timothy. Timothy is not a novice in the ministry, is he? Timothy himself has been with the apostle and has ministered with the Apostle, and he has suffered with the Apostle. And Paul's going to ask Timothy to abide at the church at Ephesus because there had been people who came into that church wanting to use the law but not use it properly, and all kinds of bad doctrine and application was being applied. 
And here's Timothy and here's Paul. And look at what he says in verse 7. God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Is that amazing? Here's Paul. He's in prison. He's going to die. And he's communicating to a beloved son. These are words of love to Timothy. And he's telling Timothy, now look, timidity is not of the Spirit of God. But God's given us power, love. The King James has a sound mind or discipline here in our translation. And he says to Timothy, Timothy, do not be ashamed. And folks, what that tells me is, is that not only did Paul have to deal with this, Paul did not want to be ashamed, and he didn't want Timothy to be ashamed, and all Timothy is dealing with is not really with the lost community, he's dealing with who? He's dealing in the church with people, both saved and possibly lost. And he is telling in both cases, whether it's outside the community of the church or whether it's inside the community of the church with orthodox doctrine, don't be ashamed. And my wife has a little saying that she mentions frequently that this person's shame seems to be a constant companion. Do you feel that way? I feel that way. There's always that timidity and that hesitancy. Don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord and Timothy. Don't be ashamed of the apostles. Don't be ashamed of me, his prisoner. What causes us to be ashamed? Verse 8, But join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. What kind of suffering? Well, we can enumerate several, but look in chapter 2 and verse 3. It might be on the same page of your Bible. Suffer hardship. Hardship with me. Folks, part of the sufferings of Christ, and there are many, is the public shame that is thrown upon a believer or thrown upon a congregation or thrown upon a pastor or its servant leadership within the church to have to deal with particular things. That is part of the sufferings. And who wants to suffer that way? None of us want to suffer that way. None of us want to be shamed in that way. And so, we can become ashamed to confront certain doctrinal issues within a church, and we can become ashamed in giving the gospel of Jesus Christ to other people. 
Do you think that in general that shame has affected the Christian community in American culture? And I think the answer to that is yes. And there are reasons for that, more than just shame, but I think the answer to that is yes, and I think we need, we need, we, we need a recovery of a boldness to proclaim the words. Now, I'm not talking about brassness. I'm not talking about an in-your-face kind of situation. What I'm talking about is a lack of shame and a willingness to be the mouthpiece of God for whatever situation that you find yourself in, whether it be with a lost person or whether it be with a saved brother or sister. And folks, if we're going to have that shame removed from us, then evangelistic praying demands that we pray about it. Right? We pray about what we're concerned about. We don't want our lack of boldness to be a hindrance to others hearing the gospel. So let's go back to Ephesians 6 and let's just read again in light of that Paul's twice mentioned prayer request. Pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me. So that's his speech. In the opening up of my mouth to make known with boldness with all the words nothing held back the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly, because this is how I what? I ought to be speaking. I've heard a preacher say one time, why should we as God's people be ashamed? of what has so gloriously saved us. I think we can say amen to that. Mm -hmm. And I think we all know that we are in positions of being ashamed to various degrees and not speaking with all the words. I was listening to a podcast where someone was on that podcast and the, the uh, host mentioned said something about <clears throat> that oftentimes we we are embarrassed to give the gospel to people and this person said very very boldly <laughs> very plainly this person said the reason for that is pride And they went on and said, how? We care about what people think about us. And folks, when we care about what people think about us, that just means that they are shaming us. They ought to be receiving of the gospel, right? They ought to be coming up to us. Everybody in this lost community ought to be seeing us, and if they know that we're a believer, they ought to say, please, please, what must I do to be saved? But they don't do that, do they? 
In fact, most of the time when we give the gospel to people, we suffer by being rejected. That's suffering. Was Christ rejected? Yes. That is our normal response with people. And so Paul would mention this. Shame itself destroys our boldness. Shame destroys our hope. Shame destroys our confidence. Paul would mention in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 12, therefore having such hope, we use great boldness in our speech. When our hope, our confident expectation in the good things of the gospel, in Christ coming back and entering into his kingdom, when that is lowered because of shame, we lose our boldness in our speaking. So brethren, I just want to say here, just real quickly, not only having the right attitude, and not only praying for an open door, but praying for boldness that we would go through the what? That we would go through the door, and that we would go through the door with the right content, the mystery of Christ, with our mouth, that we would open it, and that we would speak, as Colossians says, with clarity, and as Ephesians says, with boldness. Now, brethren, the fact that we have to pray about these things means they don't come naturally. Even the greatest of evangelists, the Apostle Paul, requested prayer about this. I've met men who have the gift of evangelism. And it just seems like everywhere they go, it's just giving people the gospel and giving people the gospel and giving people the gospel, even to perhaps even the detriment of making an appointment. <laughs> okay, They just love to give the gospel. And I've talked to them privately, and they've said this to me. They said, I still feel shame. Shame doesn't go away when we mature. Paul is mature, isn't he? Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. And folks, the reason why it will never go away is because we carry this about with us in our sinful nature. We carry it in our flesh. And I think it's helpful for us to acknowledge that it's never going to go away. There may be times it's not there. There may be other times it's not as strong. But you're never going to get to the place where you'll never have to deal with it. If I think about going out and passing out a track or trying to approach people, or I remember years ago I had a person say, hey, let's go down to the high school football game and let's witness to the people that are just standing around outside. And I was like, well, you know, I'm in the ministry. Sure, let's do it. Inside I'm like, oh. 
There's a fear there. But you know what? After we did that for a couple of hours and I actually got to give the gospel to one person, you know, on the way home, I didn't feel shame at all. I felt joy for having done that. But I go through the same process every time. There's a sense of shame and there's a fear and there's a dread and then you do it and then there's joy. And I suppose that if I would get my eyes more on the joy and less off the shame and the fear that I would do it more frequently. But the point that I'm trying to make is we never grow out of this. It's always there and when it is there you should just acknowledge it and not count it as something strange. And just pray and ask the Lord to help you. I want to close with four things in which we could apply this for ourselves individually and as a church. Number one, I think that it would be helpful for us to pray for the restraint of shame in our life. Does God restrain sin? Romans chapter 1 is very clear about this. He does. If He restrains sin, then we can ask Him to restrain this, can we not? And we need to do that not only for ourselves individually, but we can also do this as a congregation. Secondly, we need to pray that we speak the proper content to people. The content is the mystery of the gospel. And what does the mystery of the gospel aim for? Disciples. We remember Matthew 28, 19 and 20, right? Go, make disciples of all nations. So the content is the mystery of the gospel, and when we're giving that content properly, what the Lord will use that word for is to work in that person a life and a regeneration in order to make that person a disciple, a learner follower of Jesus Christ. Surely they will pray a prayer to get saved, right? But that's not really what you're aiming for. You're aiming for a change of heart. And so we can pray for the restraint of shame in our life and in our congregation. We can pray to speak the proper content with the proper aim. And then thirdly, not only just the restraint of shame, but the giving of confidence. Here it's translated boldness. Now we're not talking about a cocky confidence. We're not talking about taking pride in that we're being persecuted for Christ. There are people who do that. But we're talking about a confidence in the content of what we're giving to people. Does the Lord still save today? How does He save? Through the word of the gospel. Can the gospel still powerfully create a people for the Lord? 
The answer to that is yes. And so we need to speak the proper content. And then fourthly, and I think generally this is something that happens after the moment, but we need to pray that we don't put on the garment of shame when we suffer rejection. I have literally said to myself, what's the use? Everybody we talk to rejects. And that statement, brethren, is not coming from the Spirit of God. Right? You just got to acknowledge where it's coming from. But if we entertain it, and we put on the garment of shame, when we suffer a little bit, either with little results or rejection. Uh, I have been spit at. I have been spit on. I have been threatened for giving the gospel to people. And folks, it would be real easy to say, well, that's embarrassing. I don't want that to happen and we just tone down the message. The apostles rejoiced that they could suffer. I think for the context of the American church, I think we all can say we haven't matured to that place. But the apostles are our example. And folks, I want to show here just a couple of places and then we'll be, we'll be done of the difference between a shame and a boldness. So let's take our Bibles and turn to the end of the book of John. John chapter 20. <clears throat> the book of John chapter 20. <clears throat> this is on the Lord's Day. It's on a Sunday. It's on the first day of the week. Early on that first day of the week, Jesus arose. He shows Himself to the ladies. And Mary Magdalene actually came back to the disciples and said to them, I've seen the Lord. And what Jesus had said to her. And in John 20 and verse 19, they are gathered together for an afternoon service, just like we are right now. So it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were, why was the door shut? Fear. For fear of the Jews. Jesus came and said to them, Peace be with you. 
Now surely that peace be with you dealt with the fact that He appeared. Would you be startled if Jesus showed up bodily right here? Peace be with you. But perhaps the peace also extended to the fact that they were in fear. And because they are in fear, they are behind shut doors. Now, I'm not saying that shut doors are wrong, okay? So don't walk away with this. My point is, they shut the doors because they were what? They were fearful. Now go a couple of pages over to the book of Acts. They'd actually seen the Lord ascended into heaven. They were praying in the upper room in Jerusalem. They had had a members meeting and they had actually elected, put someone forward of whom the Lord chose to take Judas's place officially as the apostle. That man's name was Matthias, chapter 1, verse 26. And in Acts chapter 2, we know that it was the day of Pentecost. That would have been on a Sunday if you trace out the chronology. And they were all together in one place, Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. And you know what happened. In verse 4, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues, that is, other known languages, as the Spirit was giving them utterance. They had not previously learned these languages. And the Holy Spirit had given them this gift that is no longer operable today, so that when we look down in chapter 2, verses 9 and 10 and 11, you see the multiple languages and multiple dialects that they were supposed to reach. Now what I want to bring to notice is that these people who were behind closed doors for fear of the Jews, in Acts 2 and verse 14, Peter. Now you remember Peter? The one who denied the Lord three times because he was ashamed? Here he is taking his stand, verse 14, with the eleven. And what did Peter do? He raised his voice and declared. Now does that look like a man in an opportunity that is opening his mouth with boldness? The answer to that is what? You have to say, Yes. What's the difference? Well, the difference, we could say, was the coming of the Spirit of God, right? But I think there's a little bit more than that going on. And I think the difference is, not only had the Spirit of God come, Jesus had communicated to them that He was going to ascend to the Father. This human being raised from the dead, He was going to ascend to the Father, 
sit down at the right hand of God, and he was going to ask the Father to send who? The Holy Spirit. And folks, when that Holy Spirit came, just like Jesus said, what had to happen among them, not only being filled with the Spirit, but what had to happen to them was, you know what? The fact the Holy Spirit has come, just like He said, means that He is seated at the right hand of God. This human being whose name is Jesus Christ, our Lord, He has to be seated there as Lord of Lords and King of Kings, and He had to have asked who? God the Father to send the Holy Spirit, and God the Father said, yes, you can send the Holy Spirit, and the one sitting at the throne of God sent the Holy Spirit just like he said he would. Which meant not only that he was alive, but he was at the right hand of God. Folks, if that hits you like an enlightened bolt of lightning that does something to someone's inner man, what does it do? Well, they're filled with the Spirit. Because we are filled with the Spirit when the Word of Christ abides in us richly. And because He was filled with the Spirit, He took His stand among the eleven, this one that had denied the Lord three times, this one who had gotten with the Lord and said, hey, what about John? What about this guy? The Lord had to rebuke him again. Here's this man. He stands up and he lifts up his voice and tells, they think about 100,000 people, Listen to me. That's bold. <laughs> That's bold. Now, I'm not saying that you need to go down to the food lion and go inside and stand on top of one of the cash registers and say, listen to me. The point is what? He spoke the word with Boldness. And folks, when we do speak the word with boldness, there is a little bit of a sense, listen to me, that's behind it. This is life and death. This is eternity. This is living in the new heavens or new earth or in a lake of fire forever. This is no small thing to be timid about. And so to pray these things, restrain our sense of shame, to open our mouths with the proper content, to be bold to give or to be confident to give all the words of Christ to people. And then, if we suffer rejection, and we will, if we suffer with little results, and we might, that we don't in the days after that pick up a garment of shame that ends up shutting down our mouths with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Truly, this encompasses evangelistic praying. Would you not agree? Right spirit, clarity, boldness. A spirit-filled, 
listen to me mentality with the ones who we desire to see saved or the ones that we desire to walk in greater maturity. These things are important. So can we add that to our prayer list? Can we be praying about that? Not only for our congregation, but also for ourselves on an individual basis. And when we're praying for it individually, then we're more conscious of it. And we will be less likely to kind of fall into a natural trap of shamefulness in our presentation with others. Let's pray.